Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church located in Los Angeles, California. Everything we do at Shepherd is based around John 3.14 that teaches us to lift up the name of Jesus that the world might believe. We want to come alongside you in your journey with God and help you become stronger in your faith so you can better serve Jesus and share him with others. Our pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with his message for us today. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is careful to define his own identity. For most of his adult life, he avoided conversations that would reveal his identity as the Son of God. Because his time had not yet arrived. And so John's gospel, as most of the gospels do, highlight a brief three-year window. The gospels don't tell us. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus except when he was born. We have uh, one story when he was 12. And we don't know a thing until he gets to be about age 30. And the gospels, John, who writes this, Again, it's a three-year window of Jesus' life where Jesus finally became vocal about his identity, about his eternal kingdom. He claims to be seven different things. Today, the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, when we consider the effect that light has in the midst of darkness, we can easily discern what Jesus meant by this bold assertion. Because if light changes everything then jesus changes everything if light exposes so does jesus nothing is hidden from his sight now i want to give you the context everybody say context and we talk about this whenever you read the bible you need to understand the context by which it was written and and there is no better illustration than today that in order for you to understand when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, you have to understand the context by which he said this. We are in John chapter 8. But back in John chapter 7, one chapter earlier, Jesus and his disciples have been attending a feast. It was called the Feast of the Tabernacle. It was one of three yearly pilgrimages where every Jewish person was to travel to Jerusalem. The feast of the tabernacle lasted seven days, and it commemorated the Lord's presence and provision during Israel's 40-year window when they were in the wilderness. And let me explain that. Israel had been in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt for 430 years. They were slaves. God raised up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses was used by God to deliver 1.5 million Hebrew people out of slavery. When they left Egypt, they sinned. They took their jewelry and melted it down and created a false idol. They created a golden calf. And the Israelites, instead of worshiping the God who delivered them, they instead worshiped a false god, a golden calf, Therefore, they sinned, and so instead of just going right into the promised land, God punished them. For 40 years, they had to wander around a desert. Should have taken them just a few days to get through. 
But because of their sin and disobedience, they were in that desert for 40 years. The Bible says that God led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so not only did he lead them, he also provided for them, even though they were in trouble, even though they were being disciplined, God still was with them and God still provided for them for every day for 40 years in the desert, God provided food and water. So after they finally got into the land of promise, they finally settled down after 40 years, they were supposed to have a feast to celebrate God's provision and God's presence specifically during that 40-year window of time. To celebrate in this festival, this feast, part of it was what's called the illumination of the temple. They had this ritual of lighting four golden oil-fed lamps. These lamps were probably 75 feet high. Imagine at night all the people looking up at the temple on the top of the hill. The city must have been aglow. So for an entire week, the Jews had been looking at that lit up uh, courtyard in the temple. And at the end of that week, Jesus boldly and carefully says, after that is in their mind, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not just the light of Jerusalem, not just the light of the Jewish people, not just the light of a few people. Jesus is the light of the entire world. That is the context by which he spoke those words. Now I want you to write these things down fast because i got to get through them fast. Could someone say amen? amen? Number one, Jesus is the light of the literary world. Jesus never wrote a book as far as we know. Yet there have been more books written about Jesus than any person in the history of the universe. The Bible says in John chapter 21 at the end of this gospel, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Yet people have tried. Jesus has never actually written a book, but he's the light of the literary world. The Bible is the number one best-selling book uh, every single year. Since the invention of the printing press, they have estimated that there have been five to six billion copies of the Bible that have been printed and sold around the world. The InterVarsity Press, which publishes Christian books, estimates that there are between six and 7,000 Christian books written about Jesus published every single year. Indeed, the greatest books of our universe are centered around the life and the character and the ethics and the teachings of Jesus Christ. The greatest book of all time is not Grapes of Wrath. The greatest book of all time is not War and Peace. The greatest book of all time is not the Hunger Games series. It's not the Harry Potter series. It's not the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The greatest books in the world are about Jesus Christ. He is indeed the light of the literary world. Number two, he's the light of the art world. Unique but true. All of the great masterpieces and paintings and sculptors throughout history center around Jesus and the Bible. If you were to take Jesus Christ out of all the art galleries, you'd have museums full of empty frames and empty pedestals. 
If you go to the Vatican, you will walk down endless hallways as long as you can see. And as far as the eye can see in these hallways on the walls and on the ceilings, every square inch are paintings and sculptors and artwork and images and quilts and rugs all centered around the work of Jesus Christ. You will see Raphael's transfiguration. You will see Michelangelo's The Final Judgment. You will see uh, Caravaggio's The Entombment of Christ. If you enter into what's called the Sistine Chapel, a chapel that the ceiling was painted by Michelangelo in the early 1500s, it took him four years to paint. It is 5,000 square foot of space. He painted more than 300 scenes, and every scene of the 300, they're all Bible scenes uh, painted on that ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. In Exodus chapter 35, verse 35, it tells of God that gives man certain abilities to create all kinds of things. Some are artists, some are craftsmen, some are builders, and some are painters. And it seems as though God gives us these gifts, and we use these gifts to glorify the God who gave us the gifts. If you were to remove Jesus Christ from all of the art that has been produced over the last 2,000 years, our world and our culture would be unrecognizable. Number three, he's the light of the music world. Christian religion is one of the few religions that's filled with music and song. Francis A. Schaeffer, who is a respected theologian, distinctly states that the coming of Jesus Christ changed music forever around the world. That prior to Christ's birth, most of the music in the world was played in what's called minor keys, minor chords, echoing the hopelessness of life. But after the death, burial, and resurrection, that musicians began writing music in major chords, celebrating life and joy. And if Jesus hadn't come into this world, we would still be singing some of these depressing minor chords and the songs that they come up with. Who is it that puts a song in your heart? Who is it that gives you a reason to sing? It is He who makes us want to sing. It is He who gives us the song. The Bible says in Psalm 100 verse 2 that we're to worship the Lord with gladness and come before Him with joyful songs. Psalm 147 verse 1 says to praise the Lord how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise Him. I think of Handel's Messiah that was composed in the year 1741. It's a three-hour production. It ends with the Hallelujah Chorus. And for 277 years in the history of this world, people have been singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And at the very end, everyone stands on their feet and they begin to sing, And He shall reign forever and ever. Some of you need singing lessons. (laughs) 277 years people have been singing that. I think of John Newton. John Newton used to be a British slave trader. He traded slaves. And he became an ordained minister. And he was the one who penned the words of that great song called Amazing Grace. He wrote the words, How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm saved. I was blind, but now I see. 
I wonder how many Christians around the world, how many times that song alone has been sung throughout time. I think of Horatio Spafford who lost four children in a shipwreck. And in his faith and in his heartache, he took another ship and went out to the spot where his four children drowned. And he wrote the words to that song, It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Think of all the songs, there's too many to count, that have been written about Jesus Christ. And just today, in this church, we sang songs about Jesus Christ. But think about all the churches and all the languages and all the nations around the world this day that are singing songs about Jesus Christ. He is indeed the light of the music world. Number four, he's the light of Scripture. The use of light throughout all of Scripture is staggering. It begins our understanding in the story of creation in the very first book of the Bible, in the very third verse where God said the earth was full of darkness and God said these words, let there be light and there was light. As we learned earlier at the Feast of the Tabernacles, we were to remember that for those 40 years that God led Israel by a pillar of fire, a pillar of light by night. When you jump to the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, when baby Jesus arrives, and this bright light shone down from heaven to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And of course, when we come to Acts chapter 9, you've got a guy named Saul of Tarsus who's trying to kill Christians. He's persecuting the church. He's actually on his way to Damascus. He's on this road to persecute Christians. And he was struck down by a bright light. And in his blindness... He hears a voice from the light that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, who are you? And from that bright light comes these words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Oh, I wish I had time to explain to you John 1, 1 that says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and He was with God in the beginning. And just a couple of verses later in John 1 verse 5, we find these words, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not what? Understood it. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the light of this world. Our world is filled with darkness and evil. And the challenge is for us to remember that Christ's light and love dispels darkness And light has been shining since the first day of creation. The rays reach from eternity past to eternity future. And we live currently here in the middle in a world of unknown, in a world that doesn't understand. But Jesus is the light of Scripture. Jesus is the light in the midst of our sorrow. Every day, not someday, but every day, people are hurting. You do not know the sorrow that's in the heart of the person that is sitting right next to you, and they do not understand the sorrow that is in your heart. All over this room are spouses who've lost their beloved soulmate. There are parents here today whose sons and daughters have gone astray. There are wives here today. They're sitting here right now. There are wives here whose husbands have been unfaithful. And the wife is here. And although you cannot hear her, 
she is literally screaming inside with pain and heartache because of her situation. And there are husbands who are here who are drowning under the weight and stress of trying to provide for their family without their family uh, knowing about the stress that they're under. There are people here within the sound of my voice that are addicted to sin. They are addicted to some drug. There is some sin that's like a chokehold and they can they can hardly breathe because they have like what's just lack of hope in believing that they'll ever be able to overcome this particular addiction. There are people here living currently under the darkness of depression. There are others here with the emptiness of not knowing Christ. And there is no other greater emptiness than not knowing Jesus Christ. There are people here that are lonely, engulfed in loneliness. There are people here that they do not know where to turn. There are people that are crying out because they believe that no one cares. Oh, I want you to know that Jesus is the light at the end of that dark tunnel called sorrow. Light defeats darkness every time. And even the darkest, the darkest of nights does not stand a chance against the inevitable arrival of tomorrow's sunrise. The night may be filled with unknown fears. The night may be filled with bitterness and brokenness. The night may be filled with strife and grief and tears. But I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that joy comes in the morning. Yes, even Christians suffer. But I have good news for you because the psalmist says in Psalm 23 that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have absolutely nothing to fear because God is with you. How else do you explain, O Paul and Silas, having been severely flogged and beaten, blood running down their backs, stripped of their clothes and stripped of their dignity, being fastened with chains in a dark, dirty, rat-infested jail cell. In the city of Philippi, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. How is that possible? Well, there's only one answer. Jesus is the light in the midst of sorrow. Jesus is the light of sorrow. Number six, write this down. Jesus is the light of heaven. John the Beloved, who actually wrote the book of John, he also wrote the book of Revelation. And John, in his later years, he was banished to an island called Patmos, where he was exiled because of Roman persecution. And imagine John, who wrote this gospel, and he's on this island, he's all alone, he's in exile because of persecution. God handed him a prophetic telescope in which he could focus and see heaven. And God told the old man to write everything down that you see. So John takes that prophetic uh, telescope and he begins to focus and he sees heaven. And John could never quite describe the blessedness and the sacredness and the ecstasy of what he saw. But somehow the best that he could, he tried to write what he could see. And he wrote that the city of heaven was four square whose builder and maker was God. And encompassing this great city was a wall made of jasper and rare stones. And as he looks and as he focuses on the city called heaven, he notices that the gates are made of gigantic pearls and that there are 12 gates around the city. And on each gate were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And he begins to focus and he sees something else. Why? There's gold. There's gold. There's gold everywhere. In fact, the streets are made of gold. And he writes that down in the Scriptures. And then he says, I must hurry because I know that soon it will be getting dark. I want to see all that I can see while it is still day. And he writes, so beautiful of a city, there are no taverns, there's no jailhouses, there are no penitentiaries, there's no hospitals, there's no places of ill repute, there are no ambulances, there are no wrinkles, there are no bent backs, there's no one crying out in pain while there's no nursing homes, there's no hospices while there's no homelessness. But as he begins to focus, he notices there's something unusual about this city. Why, it's the cemetery. There are, there are no cemeteries in this city. There's not a single grave. There's not a single tombstone. There's why he writes, there's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no tears. There's no pain. There's no turmoil. But something's wrong, he says. I've been gazing much too long. It should be nighttime by now. I can't figure this out. And then he sees, he notices why there's no night here. The sun never sets. And he writes these words in Revelation chapter 22 in your scriptures. He writes, there will be no more night. There will be no more darkness. And they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever and ever. And that's my home. That's my city. That's my hometown. I'm just passing through this town. Jesus Christ is the light of heaven. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. 4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. Deep in the heart of every believer, there's a faint whisper, a call, a prompting. We go about our business and we hear it. We see and interact with lost people every day, and the whisper echoes again for us to share our faith and tell others about Jesus. And yet, we still resist. In his latest book, Compelled, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shares his earnest desire for each and every believer to be equipped with the good news of salvation. He encourages you with inspiring stories of men and women, young and old, who have accepted the irresistible call to share Jesus with everyone they meet. And he provides practical methods to overcome your fears and effectively articulate the message of salvation. Thousands of readers have already taken advantage of this incredible book, and now it's here for you. Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith, can be yours right now for a gift of $15 or more to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as easy as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. 
888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get compelled the irresistible call to share your faith on our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover for yourself the strength that awaits inside you to speak boldly to others of how Jesus Christ has changed your life forever. Don't hesitate. Call us right now and get your copy of Pastor Dudley's latest book, Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at the same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.